One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anoush. I'm Freddie. And I'm Rachel. Welcome to the New Statesman podcast. This is an episode we like to call You Ask Us. Hello, I'm Anoush Shekelian, Britain editor of The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have our associate political editor, Rachel Cunliffe, and political correspondent, Freddie Haywood, who have been reading through all your questions and have each brought one in for us to discuss. If you'd like to submit a question for a future episode, you can fill in our online form at newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. Or if you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and leave a reply. Rachel, you're going first. What's your question this week? Okay, so this question came via Spotify from a listener named Hermione. And she asks, if Labour win the next general election after the Conservatives have done a campaign heavily based on the culture wars, will it be the end of those kinds of debates or is there more to come? It's a really good question, isn't it? Because I suppose if they do run a campaign like that, which we're starting to see the shape of at the moment, then that election could be seen by some who, you know, are critical of these kind of arguments as a litmus test for how far you can get with culture wars arguments in campaign mode. Um, Whether that will necessarily, you know, if they lose, mean that they stop campaigning Mm. on those issues or it becomes less of a subject in the kind of national discourse I, I am I'm very sceptical of. When parties lose elections, everyone takes from it the lesson that they want to take from it. You know, it's a confirmation bias. So when Labour lost that election catastrophically in 2019, it was because of Brexit to Corbynites. Uh, it was because of Corbyn to people who were perhaps on the more Remain side of the argument. It was because of Boris Johnson for others. You know, it meant everything to all people. And I think in an election like the one that we're having coming up, where there's all sorts of different issues, then I think it will split the same way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because culture war issues have left the political discourse, I think, to a large extent in the past a year or so. I think that's a consequence of two things. Firstly, Labour basically um, no longer engaging in the debates and basically conceding the ground to Conservatives on, on, on many issues. Look at their backtracking on self-ID they did recently. Very, very quietly, didn't yeah, have they any want, announcement. They didn't want, want the headline. They didn't want the headline. They had um, um, a piece from Annalisa Dodds in The Guardian. That was it. Uh, and that was a big u-turn and they moved towards where the conservatives were on on other issues you know brexit on um issues of um the race they don't talk about as much they're basically trying to move the conversation onto more, more traditional policy issues such as the cost of living and that's the second reason i think that uh culture war issues are no longer as prominent politics is completely dominated by the economy now it's completely dominated by the cost of living and that's going to be the case i think until uh, the next election. Will the Conservatives use the culture wars in the next election? Yeah, I think they'll try to. 
I do think they'll have to frame everything through the cost of living. I, I, don't, I can't remember if it was you and or someone else I was speaking to a couple of weeks ago. They were basically saying, um, we were talking about the salience of migration and whether the yeah. uh, the conservatives could use it or not. And was it you? And you were basically yeah. saying, well, yeah, what they can do is uh, try and frame the migration issue as a cost of living issue. As they can with the green issues that yeah, are starting exactly. to be sucked into exactly. the culture war as well. Yeah. The other thing I'd say is I don't necessarily agree with, I don't really like the, the term culture war. I mean, these are policy mm-hmm. issues, right? These are as important as other stuff. Immigration is not a culture war issue. Uh, it's about how we manage our borders. It's about how people come in. Um, it's about how we treat uh, people from different countries. This is a policy issue, just like the NHS is and how unlike welfare is. Uh, I don't think we can necessarily dismiss it as something that just occurs on Twitter. It's extremely important. Same with self-ID, same with other things. These are these are substantive policy issues. Yeah, and I also think that the left can't sort of tell itself comforting tales about the salience of these things. Yeah, so yeah. there's been a lot since Brexit of, oh, actually, the public's much more comfortable with mm. immigration now. You know, whether or not that's true, I'm not sure. But I just think, you know, just because something's dropped in terms of voter priorities doesn't mean that it can't whiz back up the, the agenda again because the government decides the salience of issues. When they started talking about Stop the Boats and they had the podium with that slogan on it and they were making all of these statements about, you know, what they were going to do with France and try and yeah. limit the number of boats coming across the channel, it, you know, immigration went right and right was, back up. It was Nigel Farage during the pandemic out yeah. on his dinghy in the channel, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, filming. And we all, you know, lots of people said, well, this is near a bit of a nutter, what's he doing? No, he's basically yet again driven the national conversation. As you say, Anoush, um, those people who say the attitudes towards migration have liberalised since uh, 2016 are, are correct, uh, but they should not be complacent about that at all. And we, we know, for instance, that for a very, very long time, although it's, it's slightly decreased now, those who want immigration to fall is around 60%. What changes is the salience. Um, so I just think that uh, lots of these issues are very volatile and the public's perception on them can change. There should there should be no uh, complacency about having won anything. I think the thing that I keep coming back to is that uh, briefing that we had from the pollsters at Redfield and Wilton mm. when they said that the top issue on everyone's minds was the cost of living yeah. crisis. And we were like, we know. And they're like, no, what you don't know is how much above everything else that is. So cost of living crisis with sort of the NHS and public services grouped in yeah. to it. And that, I think, like Labour have cottoned onto that and that's why they're just dodging all of these because they know that if they just don't say anything on them, they can move the conversation to mortgages and inflation and supermarket prices and falling standards yeah. of living and do you feel richer or poorer than you did in 2019? Mm-hmm. And that's a really powerful message. We also know that the Conservatives are going to go hard on culture war things because they have told us that. Lee Anderson has literally said the next election will be a sort of mixture of culture war issues and trans rights, which really confuses me because trans rights is very much a culture war issue. So that's not two things, that's one thing. Um, but the, Or at least that's how it's classed when people talk about culture yes, wars. Because yeah. like Freddie said, it's a bit of a nebulous phrase. Yes, isn't it? but I think in Lee Anderson's head, mm. like trans yeah. rights is probably part of the culture wars. Um, you're absolutely right. The, the Tories are trying to drag other things into their like migration, like green policy, like ULES, um, low traffic neighbourhoods, that has become a a front in the so-called culture war, where we're talking about different mindsets and values as opposed to not giving children asthma and cleaner air and better health outcomes for for Londoners. But the other reason that I think it's not going to go away is that it's not entirely a British phenomenon. A lot of it 
is, I'm not getting all conspiracy theorists about this, but a lot of it is a direct import from the US and US groups, like a Turning Point UK, which is a specifically UK group set up as an offshoot of a US group to counter left-wing ideology in schools. A lot of the rows that we're sort of having on critical race theory and drag queens and mm. that kind of thing, it has a very strong counterpart in the US that has been very electorally successful. And there are people in the conservative movement, uh, a couple of MPs, although not that many, who are very closely tied to that. And it's a it's a global thing. You saw it at the National Conservatism Conference. So if Labour win that faction is still going to be there. Like how much power they have in the Conservative Party is going to depend on how the Conservative Party restructures after it has its long, dark night of the soul and, and thinks about very hard about what it's done for the last 13 years. But that's not going to go away because it's not about Britain or Labour. It's it's something bigger. Yeah. yeah, although I do think that Labour will be so focused if they do get in on not talking about drag queens and critical race theory that they will either address the issues that are being raised... Um, and come out quite hard on them, and then that will basically shut down the conversation. I think Labour has just moved towards the Conservatives massively on cultural issues, um, and that's basically conceded the issue, and they've neutered it as a yeah. as a, a divisive topic. But just just lastly on this, because our, our question is about sort of when Labour is in, or if Labour gets into power. Yeah. One thing that I often say is cultural wars are are, are free, so like you know, yeah. um, it's easy for the government to talk about it because it doesn't require any funding commitments. But on the on the other side of that, the flip side of that is that, you know, Labour could do quite a lot of big things for this country for free by, you know, liberalising certain things. So you saw, you know, gay rights advances under Tony Blair, for example. So there are things that the future Labour government could do that don't cost very much money, that do change the kind of feel of the country that might come under the cultural yeah. sort of uh, umbrella, but, uh, according to some some parts. So, you know, you don't know... What 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 could happen with these things? I think they're just so scared of losing the support of the kind of red wall, traditionally Labour, but voted for Boris Johnson in, in 2019 segment of, of the electorate that they don't want to spook anyone. There's a very much a sense in the sort of conservative CCHQ strategy of try and make Keir Starmer appear mm. scary try and make him a threat because you know, the policies vaguely make the country work a bit better. That's quite popular. But, you know, he's going to trans your children or he's going to steal your car and keep you locked in a 15-minute city. Um, and, you know, you can't trust him because he's best mates with a just-up oil guy. Like, this is all try intended yeah. to try and make him seem threatening in the same way as the, the Tony Blair demonise poster was intended to do that and it's just I, I don't think it's sticking because Keir Starmer is quite boring and I suppose it depends on whether a victory like we said at the beginning of this discussion vindicates whether people see that it vindicates this strategy of becoming more socially conservative or moving to, yeah. towards the they also have to win right so if, it, like, if it's a hung parliament or, or, or if the conservatives do better than expected you can absolutely expect the cultural yeah. factors of the conservative party to be like look this is what won yeah. it for yeah. us yeah after the break, Freddie will introduce his question. Give us a clue on what it's about, Freddie. It's about media management. If you're subscribed to The New Statesman, you can get all our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back after this. If you enjoy The New Statesman podcast, then you'll love our daily politics newsletter, Morning Call. 
It's a quick, essential guide to the big political story each morning by me, Freddie Hayward and Rachel Weymouth. Featuring original reporting from Westminster and beyond, our analysis of the latest political news and some recommendations of the best reads of the day. Sign up for free at the link in the podcast description. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Okay, Freddie, what's your question? This is a question from a YouTube user called The Deck Whale, capitalized, who asks... What does it actually mean for a week to be gridded for something? I've heard it a few times on a couple different pods uh, and I'm at total loss about what it actually is. What is it, Anish? I am so glad that this question was asked because I, I was when I was writing a piece about the Bibby Stockholm a couple yeah. of weeks ago, I found myself writing the sentence, it's small boats week, and then <laughs> deleting that sentence thinking this means absolutely nothing to any ordinary reader. Um, and that's because, yeah, you know, the government uh, has a grid, which basically means that it plans week by week what the topics are that it's going to go big on, mm-hmm. hoping that the media and uh, the general public will just follow suit and go along with their announcements. And as as we've said, uh, yesterday's podcast, some of these announcements tend to only last for the week that they're gridded for, and yep. then they disappear into nothingness. This was a form of communication that was established by Alistair Campbell when he was Tony Blair's spin doctor. And it's been something that has been stuck to more or less ever since. I think it was less so during the Boris Johnson years. I mean, it's remarkable we even talk about it, to be honest, because you think a big organisation like a government would have some form of media strategy. It's not exactly the most Machiavellian way of controlling the media, saying we're going to try and focus on something this week. I I also think it's to do with uh, coordination between departments. So the grid gets sent out to all the departments and it basically has uh, the key focus for the day to ensure that uh, certain departments don't speak over another department, which ministers get very upset about if they do do. What do you think, Rachel? As a concept, you're the government, it should probably be a good thing if various departments know what other departments yeah. are saying. That that seems pretty basic. It kind of has this I this um, reputation for being, I don't know, I imagine it as like really complex spreadsheets <laughs> on multiple screens. Do you remember when Dominic Cummings talked about having like a control centre at the yeah. heart of, of, of Downing Street? And it's not that, it's a spreadsheet. Mm. Um, and it's they, they work in sort of two-week blocks trying to plan out what the policy announcements are. I believe there's quite a lot of sometimes rivalry between ministers in getting your announcement in a grid and like something being bumped because of something else. Uh, And it was devised, like it's not just about departments, but also about what else is going on. So if you've got, I don't know, the World Cup final and the line letters, you probably don't want to have like be announcing a big government policy on that day. One of my favourite grid stories is in, in, I think 2015, Steve Hilton was working for Cameron, like lost the grid or lost control of the grid. And there were like there were reports, there were all these announcements coming out and he didn't know about them and other departments didn't know about them. And not only did they not know that the announcement was happening, they didn't know that the policy was happening. Um, and it turned out that he just had decided not to turn up to grid meetings and therefore didn't know what was going on. Um, so it's one of those things where I think... Who grids the grid? Literally, literally, like, like you know how if there's like a big meeting and no one's taking notes, the person who takes the minutes is actually in control because they get to say what happened in the meeting, regardless <laughs> yeah. of, of what it actually was. I think the people who go to the grid meetings probably have a lot of unseen power. 
Um, and yeah, I mean, Freddie, it's often spoken about as if it's this kind of Machiavellian thing, kind yeah. of top down, you know, we tell the BBC what to say. Uh, is there, you know, is there a sort of element to this where it's quite artificial, but as journalists, we kind of yeah, follow I mean, along? In one way, it is artificial because they just choose a week to talk about a topic. But in another way, it is... Uh, they often include lots of policy announcements, and that is what the news is. I mean, remember Labour's Crime Week? I think there were two weeks uh, when they did Crime Week back in April. I can't remember. They've was, had so many Crime they Weeks. Have. They have indeed. Uh, <laughs> Every, week is, crime week, Every in, week is Crime Week in Britain. Just before the local elections, I think it was. Um, but they did have policy announcements, okay, so that's the news, and that's why we talk about it. The funny thing is, though, when you just get re-announcements uh, of previous policies that have already been announced or a reallocation of funding or a, yeah. um, a, a new statistic, as if that's the news. So, yeah, I do think it's, it's not necessarily very good for journalism and it's it's important and also very noticeable when people don't or when they do just follow what the government is saying. It's, it's, it's very tedious. But it can have real impacts as well. But you were talking about Small Boats Week, which was uh, the, the second week of the summer recess. And the government decided to go really hard on channel crossings and illegal migration. And obviously they had the Bibby Stockholm barge and they wanted to get migrants loaded onto it that week because it was small boats week and that was kind of yeah. the centrepiece of it. Even though they weren't from the small boats, but yeah. <laughs> Even though they weren't from the small boats, but it was it was kind of a symbolic, it was a very large boat, in fact, they were getting onto. And obviously we know what happened with that. They, they put people on without having got the tests back yes, for... Yeah for Legionella bacteria. And you sort of wonder if they hadn't had that artificial deadline set by the comms grid, would that would they have waited another week to actually get the results and not had that? I mean, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why that went wrong and there's a lot of dysfunction in the Home Office and people not talking to each other and ministers not talking to each other and civil servants. And I'm not saying the grid was the reason the migrants had to be moved off that barge, but it is an example of you try and lead with your communications strategy and sometimes the policy doesn't quite match up with that and it causes you headaches. One way of looking at the grid is it's just a symptom of short-term government thinking. Mm -hmm. Why is Rishi Sunak spending two weeks of the summer, which he would have approved, uh, focusing on small boats crisis, which he's doing extremely poorly on, uh, the NHS, which he's doing extremely poorly on, and both of which people care about? Why is he not just focusing on the long term, focusing on those priorities? Um, I, it baffles me that they volunteered a week of scrutiny on something that people really care about and they're doing poorly on. Well, that's why I think the, the grid is really useful for us to know what the government wants us to be talking yeah. about. Because that was, on the face of it, baffling. Why are you drawing attention to these policy areas where you're manifestly failing on? Yeah. That mattered to people, like you say. And so it's 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 instructive to know that actually they're comfortable with that. Why is that? Is it because, and I, I get this impression from some of the people that I speak to, is it because just looking like you're trying to do something and prioritising something, is it because that's deemed enough in the public's sort of imagination? And I, I, I think that there's some people who are clinging to that idea of let's look like we're getting something done. We might not meet the inflation target, but let's go out and tell people how hard we're working on it. And that is sort of enough for people to think, okay, by the next election, they've made some progress on these on these targets. Let's not risk everything with Labour that could ruin everything and let them carry on, you know, in their slow plod towards progress. I think that's going to be part of the calculation that they make in the next election. Don't let Labour mess it up. So I think there's definitely some thinking on those lines. I wrote the politics column in the New Statesman magazine this week like on 
illegal migration and stop the boats and why as a slogan what it was meant to do and, and how it is backfiring and I think there very much was a sense when Rishi Sunak chose that as a priority in January of looking in control of this problem the other four were things that kind of affect everyone like living standards NHS waiting lists economic stability that was very much a kind of red meat to the the Tory base um what's interesting is it's not working 80% of conservative voters don't trust the government to take control of illegal immigration and more conservative voters think Suella Braverman is doing badly than think she's doing well that's not like voters as a whole that's conservatives so I think it has backfired in that they've drawn a lot of attention to an issue that their base really really care about without having the results to back it up but I guess they think that just talking about it might be enough, even though the polls don't bear that out. Yeah, I mean, does intention have any more value than just delivery? I I, I do think sometimes people do appreciate politicians' intentions more than we give them credit for. But after 13 years and after years and years of promises on migration, I'm not sure they have much credibility to stand on. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions. We do read them all, so please keep them coming in. If you'd like to send us a question, just go to newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. And if you're listening on Spotify, you can just scroll down on the episode page and leave a reply. And YouTube viewers can drop a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anoush Shikelian, and my colleagues, Rachel Cunliffe and Freddie Haywood. We're taking a break on Monday for the bank holiday. But on Saturday, in our audio long read slot, we're publishing Pippa Bailey's extraordinary reported feature about the ultra-conservative sect, The Exclusive Brethren, read by Pippa herself. It's a really fantastic piece, so look out for it over the weekend and have a great bank holiday. This episode was produced by Chris Stone. Save big money on everything for your next project at Menards. Spring is here making it the perfect time for outdoor projects. Suncast storage sheds are an excellent solution for protecting outdoor lawn and gardening tools. They're easy to assemble, and the all-weather construction provides water resistance and UV protection. Save big on Suncast storage sheds. View our selection of Suncast products today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Trust in politics is broken. So can we get UK politics working again? That was the last time we were happy. 2012. I'm Beth Rigby, Sky's political editor. Join me every week with Labour's Jess Phillips and Conservative peer Ruth Davidson for some electoral dysfunction. This idea of nuance has completely left politics. Together we'll focus on the policies that could deliver political satisfaction. Follow electoral dysfunction wherever you get your podcasts.